Morning? Oh, come on. How are you doing this morning? Good. You're in the house of the Lord with God's people, just singing worship songs, praying, tithing, and now a message. You can't get any better than that. Uh, so this year we have started out this month looking at the main thing that should be taking our focus each and every day. Because at the start of the new year, it's all about new beginnings, new things. We have new agendas. We have new resolutions. And I imagine your home is a lot like ours. You already start to fill up the month of January with appointments and stuff, right? Lots of things going on. There's no real break or holiday from the activities of life. And it can be so easy to be distracted with all of those necessary things for living and to put God sort of in this um, back seat, to put him and his, to put him and living for him secondary in our lives. And last week we saw a verse in um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, which is our kind of our summary verse for this short series. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be given to you as well. Jesus told us what the first priority in our life is to be, what the first thing on our daily agenda is, what the very first thing on your calendar should be, the very first appointment that you keep, the very first resolution that you should have. It is seeking his kingdom, his righteousness, and he's going to take care of everything else. And I think one of the easiest ways to understand that and put it in terms that we can live with is each and every day, one of our priorities needs to be thinking great thoughts about God and how to live joyfully in those thoughts. Great thoughts about God. If you consumed all of your free time driving and doing all the mundane tasks of our life, if you spent that time rehearsing in your mind what Scripture tells us about God, you would be well-armed, well-armed to make his kingdom and his righteousness a priority in your lives. If we just spent the time rethinking great thoughts about God, about his, his nature, about being eternal, loving, merciful, just, and true. If we kept those thoughts in our mind and day in and day out said, how do I start this day thinking great thoughts about God and how do I live joyfully in response to that? Because anytime we think about God, Anytime we have the right thoughts about God from his word, it's going to produce joy. In the end, for his children, all those thoughts about God are going to produce joy, contentment. In fact, Paul talks about it as joy that is unspeakable, unspeakable joy. And in order to have that in our lives, we need to have our priorities set straight. And Jesus says the number one priority that you have, number one thing on your list, number one agenda item, Number one thing on your calendar, number one resolution that you have each and every day for every year of your life is seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Having great and grand thoughts about who our God is, what he's done, and joyfully living in those moments. And last week, we saw one of the killers to that joy, one of the killers to that primary main focus is what? Worry, because worry does nothing but drain the life out of you. Whether you are a storyteller and you make up every scenario possible, what's going to go wrong when the doctor calls, 
or you sort of are that end game person that it doesn't matter what happens, what's going to happen, you're going to die. Doesn't matter, oh, we're just going to die. Or you're that person that just simply puts up that brave front, oh, everything is okay, but inside you are terrified and you ignore reality. Today we're going to be looking at another killer to seeking God's kingdom first. And it's a person that actually is here today. And I'm not going to embarrass the person and make them stand up and introduce themselves, but I'm going to describe the person, and I want you in your mind to guess who this might be. It's a little embarrassing, but we're going to give it a try. And if you do figure out who this is, please don't stand up and shout their name. All right, don't, don't, I'm not asking for raising of hands. Just in your mind, as I go through the description of this person, think to yourself who this might be, and I guarantee the person is here this morning. First of all, I would describe this person as someone who loves to change every conversation that they have with you into themselves. They love talking about themselves. They love talking about what they've done, what they do, what they want to do. They love conversations that dwell on themselves. Another description of this person is, this person I know of in the past has struggled immensely with constructive criticism. It's okay if you want to criticize someone else in front of them, but if you start being critical of them, and it's even real honest feedback, they do not like it. You can tell immediately as you're talking to this person that they do not like constructive criticism. Another way to identify this person is that they love to get the last word in in an argument. They love it. And in fact, in their mind, they win every argument even if they honestly lose, they still think they win every argument. And they walk away from any type of argument in their mind rehearsing what they should have said to look even better in front of those people they are arguing with. Uh, of course, this person hardly admits that they're ever wrong. They'll admit to little wrong things like, oh yeah, I kind of go through the stop sign a little bit, uh, faster than I should, I don't come to a complete stop, but when you start talking about heart and sin matters of the heart, they're never going to admit that they hurt you, that they let you down, that they disappointed you. They don't want to admit when they're wrong. They also see themselves as a person who is above helping others, especially with menial tasks, because they view themselves as pretty important. In fact, so important that you should never ask this person to help move chairs for a special service. You should never ask them to help pull weeds or do menial things around the church or even around their home because, you know what, they are they're pretty important and um, they have a lot better things to do with their time than to help with menial tasks. And if you ask them, they're going to give you every excuse in the book why they cannot help. Um, it might be time, it might be energy, it might be other priorities, it might be health, but they will come up with any kind of excuse you can imagine. They do not like helping out, especially with menial tasks. If you ask them to be in charge of something, they love it. 
In fact, they love being in charge of things. But when you ask them to do something simple and menial, they, uh, they get quite offended at that. They are also the type of person that uh, gets very offended if you don't recognize their birthdays, anniversaries, the work that they've done, the service that they've done, or the money that they've given, or the volunteer that they've done. They really get offended when you don't recognize it or acknowledge it to them because all of life to them is about themselves. They're also a person who you know that they need help, but they refuse refuse to ask for help because it shows that they are weak it shows that they they're lacking and they never want to show people that they're weak they never want to show people that they're lacking they never want to show people that they don't know something so they're never going to ask for help this particular person they're also very unwilling to submit to authority they don't like authority because they think in the end they pretty much know more than the authority. They also love to teach. And I'm not talking about standing up in front of a pulpit kind of teaching. I'm talking about they know how every other driver out there should be driving type of teaching. They know how other people should be doing it, how they should be responding, how they should be acting, how they should be living. And in fact, if they were only in charge of everything, oh, life would be so much easier for the entire world. They're also a person that uh, really feels that people should come to them seeking advice and counsel because they are wise beyond their years. And not enough people come to them and say, what should I do? Because if they did, they would know exactly what the right thing to do was. But they never come to me and ask me what my advice is. This person also struggles with any kind of change that they're not in charge of or they didn't think of first. They're okay with change if they're in charge of it or they thought about it or they recommended it. But any other kind of change? Well, you didn't come and ask me about it. Therefore, I'm just by nature against it. All right, so I think I've given you enough description of this particular person. I want you to look to the left of you and the right of you, in front of you, behind you. And I know that you don't see them. Although they are there sitting in your very chair and standing right in front of you on this very carpet not denying that at all it is a person that struggles with what do you think pride and arrogance jeremiah and and uh, excuse me in first samuel uh god is communicating to samuel about saul and he says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, that is Samuel, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord is worried about the heart, and our biggest struggle and problem, I think, in life can be summed up in that one 
difficult challenge of sin called pride. Do you know that it was pride that brought about the fall of Lucifer? Satan. It was pride. He looked at God and envied what he had, wanted it, was full of jealousy, and thought he deserved it. And he fell from that amazing point of grace. And then Adam and Eve's first sin was pride. They looked at the tree and said, how unfair it is for God to set the rules. I should set the rules. I'm going to eat it. I'm God. There is nothing more prideful than declaring, I know better than God. Pride, pride, pride. And God looks at that. And he is utterly disgusted with pride. And our self-reliance. And our thinking, we can do no wrong, but everyone else does. Our judgmental attitude of others making ourselves feel superior. He hates that. He hates that attitude, that arrogance, that pride so much that he had to get rid of it. He had to destroy it from the lives of his children by sending his own son to die for the pride of in our lives. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, this is what the Lord says. That's the first part of the verse. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast in their wisdom. See, there's nothing wrong in having wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Just don't boast in it. Or the strong boast in their strength nothing wrong in being strong and having abilities you don't boast in it you don't become arrogant and prideful in it or the rich boast of their riches nothing wrong about being rich and having wealth it's when you boast in it and have confidence brag about it and judge others based on it he says bet let the one who boasts boast about this that they have the understanding to know me and that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Notice what he says. He says, these things happen. Strength, wisdom, and riches, that's okay to have. But when you start boasting in it, when you start puffing your chest up and saying, it's all about me. And whether you boast in your riches, your strength, your wisdom, your knowledge, your status... Whatever it is, when you start boasting in that, God says, no. That is distracting you from the main thing I want you to focus on, which is my kingdom, my righteousness, having great, grand, glorious thoughts about me, and living in joy in light of that. And when I put myself in front of God's main objective for me, he corrects me and refocuses me and says, hey, if you're going to boast in anything, boast about this. Boast that you know me. Boast that we have a relationship. Tell the whole world how great your God is. He loves that. Tell the world how great my Savior is. Tell the world how amazing my forgiveness is. How I can free the most trapped and enslaved sinner. I can set him free. Tell people that. Tell people about my kindness, my goodness, my righteousness that I spread throughout the entire world. Tell people that I am your Savior, your Lord, your God, your King, your Comfort, your Father. Tell the world. Boast in that relationship. 
because it takes the focus off of me. It takes all my selfies and puts them in the trash and it puts one thing in front, the cross. The cross. Pride gets in the way of that. Pride destroys that testimony. Pride begins to puff oneself up and it ignores the God who created me, the God who made me, the God who redeemed me, the God who loved me. In essence, we're swapping places with God. How do you think that's going to go for us when we take over God's role? <laughs> Badly. Badly. Even in his own children, he corrects that pride so that we would walk humbly before him. Humbly before him. I just love how he says that in Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says, don't let the wise boast in wisdom, the strong boast in their strength, the rich boast in their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me and that I am Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. I don't know, maybe there's something in your life that you get easily offended over. Maybe there's something in your life that you judge. Maybe there's something in your life where you kind of sit as an uh, arbiter and say, this is how life should be as a monarch, a king, or a queen. I'd, I'd encourage you that wherever that is happening in your life, Take a step back even this very moment and say, Lord, is this a moment of pride in my life where I have set myself up because I want other people to recognize and boast about me? I want other people to recognize my skill, my talent, my service. I want other people to recognize my giving. I want other people to recognize my religious activities. And if that's you, you can surrender that to God. You can say, Lord, I don't, I don't know how this came about today, but I wasn't coming here to get poked in the heart with this. But if you have, then this is a great moment to say, Lord, forgive me. Set me straight here. Set me right. Don't let me get in the way of that great message of boasting about you. If people were today to look at your life, your conversations, your thought life, would they see God focus, central? Would they see him up in front? Or would they see your activities? Would they see your agenda? Would they see your comfort? And all of a sudden we realize maybe I'm the one that's struggling with pride. Maybe it's not the person next to me or in front of me or behind me. Maybe it's me that Tim is describing. But there is hope. There is incredible hope because when we are struck to the heart, when we are challenged with God's truth, he doesn't leave us broken. He doesn't leave us condemned. He doesn't leave us just wallowing in that, that self-pity. He reaches to us, as he tells us in Psalm 40, and he sits us on the rock. Let's, I wasn't planning on doing that, but let's go to Psalm 40 real quick. If you have that, well, you do have it if you got a phone or a Bible in front of you. Psalm 40, I'll give you a second to turn there. Uh,
people have asked me in the past, you know, Tim, what is your favorite uh, verse in Scripture? Because everybody sort of has this verse that they really love that feeds them, that they remember from early youth, or that just really made an impact in their life. There is no greater verse to me, I'll have to say verses, than Psalm 40. Psalm 40. And because every time I get into that moment where I am feeling sorry for myself, when I'm feeling, oh man, God, you just, you hit me here, or life gives me something that is a lemon and I am tired of making lemonades, God hits me with, remember Psalm 40, Tim. Remember Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of sl- the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, and many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. That's exactly what he was saying in Jeremiah. Boast about me. Tell the world about me. And when God redeems you, when he sets you upon the rock of Christ, the natural thing for us is then to declare the greatness of God, to sing a new song that he put in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. So every time I get into that funk, whether it's God's discipline or life is hard, I remind myself God has promised to put my feet firmly upon the rock, which I believe is no other than the rock of our Lord Jesus Christ, his life and his work. And so we can be rescued from that self-pity. We can be rescued from that feeling of our heart being exposed to its sin and realize, Lord, you've, you've put me there. You've saved me from that. You've redeemed me from that. You have dragged me from that and put me somewhere secure. Let that now be the message that I give others. The message of hope. The message of safety. The message of peace through the work of Christ. Now, that was a little bit of a sidetrack. Back to the main point, that if we are to keep focused on the main thing of seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, of making sure that our day is filled with glorious, grand, great thoughts about God and living joyfully for him, two other things can get in the way of that that we're going to look at this morning from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, still in the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapter 6, the first few verses there, it actually, one of the things that can get in the way of that main thing is actually helping people in financial trouble. Giving to the needy. You might think, Tim, how in the world could giving to the needy get in the way of thinking great thoughts about you? Well, Jesus answers that question in the first few verses of Matthew chapter 6. Be careful. Be careful. Not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so now he describes a scenario where we are doing things to be acknowledged. We're doing things to get our name on a plaque that is permanently placed on a wall somewhere. Uh, I've told the story many times. 
you know that church that I visited when I was in seminary that had a plaque on everything? A plaque on the doors, a plaque on the offering plates, a plaque on the pulpit, a plaque everywhere. God says they already received their reward. We're not in it for the plaques. We're not in it for the recognition. We don't give to be seen, and we don't serve to be acknowledged. He goes on in verse 2 and says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. The epitome of pride, to be recognized by others for doing a good deed that God has already called us to do. Oh, acknowledge it. No, he says, don't do that. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is that attitude of, I have the right to be recognized. And all of a sudden, God says, listen, it is a good and necessary thing to help those in need. He's not telling us not to help the needy. He's not telling us not to tithe and give offerings and benevolence. He's saying you've got to check your heart on whether you're doing it for the right reason. Is it a matter of pride? I want to be noticed. I want to be recognized. I want to be singled out as giver of the year, as volunteer of the year, I should win that. I should be acknowledged. I should be seen for doing good to the rest of the community, the rest of mankind. I should be thanked. I should be thanked. Jesus says that kind of attitude gets you nowhere but trouble. God says, okay, it all stops there. You get your acknowledgement, you get your reward, you get your plaque. You get your standing ovation, you're done. That's it. Wow, how fleeting that is. How really unfulfilling that is. Because after you get that applause the first time for doing what God has already called you to do, if you don't get it the second time, whoa, that's everybody's problem. And then you don't get it the third time, wow, these people are totally ungrateful. Do they not know how good they've got it with me being here? With me doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And all of a sudden, resentment, anger, division, envy, jealousy, all the root of that tree they planted in pride, wanting to be recognized for giving to the needy. God says, hey, it's got to be almost like your left hand and right hand don't even know what they're doing. This gives, this gives, you're not paying attention to it. You're not seeking acknowledgement from the public that you've done a good deed. You do it because you have compassion. You do it because, one, it's a command. And you do it because you realize God has given to you so that you can give to others. Wow, how that changes giving altogether. How that changes the needy altogether. How that changes fundraising altogether. Because it's not about public recognition. It's about, does God get the honor? 
Can I talk about great things about God? Can I proclaim his goodness and his greatness above my giving? Giving is good. Giving is right. Giving is necessary. But Jesus says it has to be with the right heart because he looks at the heart. Just like he told Samuel about Saul. I don't look at the appearance. I look at the heart. I look at the heart. And we may be able to deceive those around us with our outward actions, but we can't deceive God. He sees the heart. He looks to the quick of it and knows, was it done out of pride? Was it done out of selfishness? Was it done out of compassion? He knows. We might be able to fool others, but he knows. And then he addresses another topic in the next verses, prayer. Now you might think to yourself, how in the world can we get in trouble for praying? How in the world can pride be connected to prayer? But Jesus says it is so subtle. It is such a spiritual activity, giving to the needy and giving, uh, giving unto the Lord, as well as prayer. Prayer is one of those spiritual disciplines and practices that were taught early on that there's a couple rules. Uh, one, for some reason, you're supposed to bow your head. And number two, you're supposed to close your eyes. And if you ever pray with your eyes open, somehow that's, um, I don't know, you've sinned. And then uh, the third thing is you, you've got to you know, make sure you fold your hands. Uh, because if you pray with your hands unfolded, uh, either you're charismatic and that'll get you in trouble, or it's just wrong. You need to pray with your hands folded and your head bowed and your eyes closed. That is a proper prayer. Um, by the way, there are far more examples of prayer with your hands lifted up and your eyes looking towards heaven in Scripture than anyone folding their hands, bowing their head, and silently praying to themselves, just as a side record about what Scripture tells us about prayer. But even prayer can get you sidetracked from the main thing. Remember, main thing. Think great thoughts about God, living joyfully for him, understood as seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, living in that. He says in verse 5 of chapter 6 of Matthew, very same chapter, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. So there can be real religious activity, whether it's reading your Bible, whether it's attending church, whether it's singing songs, whether it's praying. We can do all those religious activities for the wrong reason to put the focus on us. And he says there are some who go about praying so the whole world can see that they pray because they want to be recognized for their amazing, dedicated religious activity because we know if they pray like that, they've got to be spiritual. If they read their Bible like that, you know that they've got to be godly. If they sing like that, you know that they have to really have joy deep down in their hearts. And Jesus says, you need to double-check yourself. Double-check. Are your thoughts in this moment about me or how others will perceive you? I'll tell you, one of the scariest one of the scariest things I think that you can ask someone to do randomly 
in a congregation like this is to stand up and pray. How many of you, if I said right now, come up and close us in prayer, a couple of the elders, people who served as elders probably could handle that, but you would like, if he doesn't see me making eye contact, that means I'm not here. And he can't choose me and pick me. Right? Hey, I was like that. I still am incredibly nervous praying in public. Because I sometimes have a feeling people are going to judge me on how well I pray. <sighs> really? Tim, you think people are going to judge you on how you pray? Yeah. It's happened to me before. I've been told by people after I've prayed some kind of prayer or something, I did something wrong. I said something wrong, I, 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 I did it wrong, and I mean, they have all sorts of advice on how to do things right and wrong about prayer. I remember one occasion, not me, not me, but a rather famous uh, person, R.C. Sproul, teaching um, a theology class, introduction to theology class at RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, used to have his class open up in prayer, a different student every day. And he told this story, so I'm not tattletailing on him. He told the story that uh, he would choose a different student every day to open in prayer, and then at the end of the prayer, they would then talk about and critique the prayer. And one day, a student read this for his prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Sproul said that was the last day he critiqued prayers in his class. So I know that critiquing how someone prays happens. So these are people that Jesus is describing as professional prayers. Prayers. Prayer, prayer, prayers? Prayers. <sighs> Professionals that pray. And they do it well. You know that after their prayer, they get a standing ovation because their diction was right, their cadence was right, the language was right, it tugged at the right heartstrings, they, they mentioned the right people because people like to get mentioned in prayers because of pride. But Jesus says it's that person that goes unseen. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in private will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then he goes on and says, this is how you pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So religious activity, good religious activity, giving to the needy and prayer can also be moments and spots of pride. That is how deceptive pride can be. Pride can be in a prayer. Pride can be in reading your Bible. Pride can be in your singing. Pride can be in your preaching and teaching. Jesus says, but the first thing you need to focus on is my kingdom, my righteousness, 
thinking great, grand, glorious thoughts about me and living joyfully in light of that. And he says, don't worry about the reward. You're not in it for a standing ovation or a name on a plaque or a recognition. You're in it for me. And when you're in it for me, trust me, in the end, you will be rewarded. Now, he doesn't tell us what the reward is, but tells us twice. Both when we give to the needy and when we pray, he says, if you do it in private, not for acknowledgement and not for applause and not for recognition, if you do it for me, you'll be rewarded. He doesn't tell us what the reward is. What do you think it might be? I have no idea. But I do know one thing. If God says, I'm going to reward you, I can pretty much sit back and go, oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Right? Is it not going to be good? Whatever it is, you know that God is going to give his children. When he says it's going to be a reward, it's going to be awesome. And not one of these, oh, here's a nickel type of, you know, from an uncle or an aunt type of thing. Oh, good job, here's a nickel. No, no, no. You know it's going to be something that is rewarding. Rewarding. And it's going to be way more rewarding than applause, way more rewarding than a name on a plaque, way more rewarding than someone saying, now that was a good prayer. Way more rewarding than that. Because he's going to give it of himself to us. That's amazing. So, a few things to take home. First, I want us to be reminded of Colossians chapter 3, what Paul says to the church at Colossae. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So put your focus, everything you do, Focus on me. Main thing, focus on my kingdom, my righteousness, great thoughts about me. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. When you give to the needy, when you pray, when you do your religious exercises, when you worship, when you teach, when you preach, it's not for the recognition. It's not. It's for him. And he says, I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry about the reward. Don't seek after applause. Seek after me, and I'll take care of everything else. And what I give you as a reward and an inheritance, it's God, we have to just trust him that it's going to be more than just okay. We're never going to want to re-gift what he gives us. So I want us to, as we walk from here today, I want us to think of a time that maybe we were not recognized for volunteering, giving, or helping. And if you felt offended, do you have a little bit of a difference today after this message? That maybe we shouldn't be in it for the recognition and acknowledgement, how we live our lives for God, even if it's religious activities. Our focus should be on the main thing. How does this in my heart reflect living for God, thinking greatly about him, and making Christ the focus? Let's pray, without any judgment. Lord, thank you for this time and your word. Father, I'll admit, this is hard for me. This is a struggle and a challenge. It's part of this human nature that you are refining and you're doing that for each of us. So help us, Father, to give each other slack as we are struggling with pride, 
self-importance and self-recognition. Help us, Lord, to remind ourselves to think about your kingdom, your goodness, your grace, your mercy that you extend upon the whole earth. May that be our focus, Father, and not how everyone is attentive to us, but how we can tell people to be attentive to you. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you back here next week for the third thing that keeps us from the main focus of thinking great thoughts about God and living joyfully for him.